You're listening to the Crossroads Grace Podcast, a podcast of Crossroads Grace Community Church. To learn more about our gathering times and ways you can get involved, check out our website at crossroadsgrace.org. Now, let me start off by saying this as we begin the message today. I grew up um, spending a lot of time in church. Like, I spent a lot of time. I attended First Christian Church in Rapid City, South Dakota when I was there. And uh, I'll say this, that the church is about 150 to 200 people. Well, I should say 150 to 200. That actually includes livestock, so we want to add in all the numbers. We counted everybody, okay? And so uh, my, my mom volunteered in the ministry there in different capacities, but she actually was on staff as the children's education director. Kind of the same thing that, that Preston will do for us, but on a much, much smaller scale. Now, she was a part of that, which meant that we, my brothers and I, we were a part of that also. And so she was in charge of the Sunday school program from birth through sixth grade. Sunday school. Remember that? Like, you ever heard of that phrase? My goodness, that's a blast from the past. But that was back in the day when there was flannel graphs. Anybody remember flannel graphs? Anybody? My church people. Flannel graphs are a one-dimensional thing that would cut out and you put on felt and you'd be like, See, wasn't that awesome? You know, it basically was like the, mo- the dullest thing of all time. But it was really cool back then. So the thing is with flannel graphs, you had to punch them out of a piece of paper. They came on the same sheet. And so my brothers and I, we got recruited by my mom to help punch out all the flannel graphs in our house growing up. So our house turned into this major maze of little piles of Goliaths and Adams and Eves and Noah's Ark. It looked like the Bible threw up in our entire house as we put these little piles together for all of the teachers that my mom was preparing for. It was great. But I did all kinds of things. In, in, in fact, another thing that I was a part of, I was actually in pretty much every production of the Vacation Bible School that church ever did. Here, here's proof. Here's a picture of me back at Vacation Bible School Day. Look at that. Look at that lunge, everybody. Are you kidding me? You know, I was going to recreate that outfit, but I love you too much to make you go through that. Okay, right. I was in that. I I, I was in in fifth and sixth grade. That was the time when I learned how to read the Bible, memorize the Bible. Lady by the name of Nadine Pittman. She was my Sunday school teacher. There's a picture of Nadine. uh, Good looking guy on the left is me. My ugly brother in the middle. Right. That's him. And he's a he's wearing his Reds jacket, though. So Reds through and through, baby. Uh, But Nadine invested in me. She actually taught me, again, how to read the Bible, how to memorize Scripture. She had a program in her class that if you memorized enough Scripture, you could earn points to get something at the end of the year. And things like a Bible or, or a concordance, or but I, what I wanted was the Bible almanac. And so I saved up and I memorized enough to get the Bible almanac. Why the Bible almanac, you might ask, is because I was a sixth grade boy and I saw a picture of a leper on the front. And I was like, I got to have that. You know what I'm saying? Like that was that's just, I, honest. That's just the truth. But I, I have it to this day. I also was involved in the youth group there. And it was the first the youth group was the place where I got my first ever cassette tape. Ooh, cassette tapes. Yeah. And it gets better because my first cassette tape was Michael W. Smith, Change Your World. Anybody Smitty? Anybody the Smitty? Oh, yeah. Yes, indeed. Okay. All that. Now, I tell you all of that. Why? I tell you that to say that I have been a part of the church for a very long time. I have seen the really good parts and I've seen the really bad parts. I have been heavily involved. I've been on the sidelines. I've worked for a church. I've just, I've just attended a church. I mean, the local church has been a part of my story for as long as I possibly can remember. 
But let me ask you something. What's the point? I mean, really, really, what's the point of the church? Why does the church matter? Or really, why should the church matter? Because, because here's what we're seeing in, in, in our postmodern world that we live in right now. The idea of church or even going to church is rarer than a college student graduating without student debt. Like it's a unicorn, you know, like most of most people don't do that. But, but just the other day, we actually read an article that was proving that this was actually true. Gallup came out with an article with some research that they had done about church membership. And the findings were actually staggering. Let me read just a little bit from it. Uh, they found that from 1998 to 2000, the average number of people that had a church membership somewhere was 69%. 69%. Between 2008 and 2010, that number dipped to 62%. And now as of 2018 and 2020... 49% of people have a church membership. The results, kind of the summary that they came up with, is that the U.S. remains a religious nation with more than 7 in 10 affiliating with some type of organized religion. However, far fewer, now less than half, have a formal membership with a specific house of worship. Less than half. So what happened? <laughs> really? Because the church used to be the place that people would go to for safety, for counsel, for wisdom, for hope, to, to even just get a fresh start, you would come to the church. However, as more and more people drift further away from God, it's as if the church is the boat they're jumping out of instead of the one they should be swimming back towards. And, and as I thought about this, there's, there's several things that jumped to my mind that, that maybe has caused the church to go on a decline. But I just want to point out three reasons, really three reasons the church has lost her appeal. Three reasons the church has lost her appeal. And, and the first one to look at is this, is that the church has hurt herself. The church has hurt herself. The church has done a terrible job of maintaining the right to be a voice of authority in people's lives. Because long gone are those days when what a pastor said or a church said about an issue in society or a moral issue, that that would be considered an authority in people's lives. And we can thank things like scandals and abuse and celebrity pastors and health and wealth theology for those things. Because it's, it's no wonder people are looking at the church with skepticism with all that stuff going on. I mean, after all, if, if you have to be someone that is rich, good-looking, looks the Christian part, never asks questions, though, and turns a blind eye to when things aren't right, it's no wonder people are wondering, why should I ever be a part of their organization? Like, what, what would make me want to do that? So the first thing is that the church has hurt herself. But the second thing is that the church doesn't believe what I want to believe. That's part of the reason the church has lost her appeal. There is a, a new allergy that's actually out there that you might not have heard of. And it, actually, Flonase doesn't do anything with it. Clar Claritin doesn't do anything for it at all. It, it's, it's, it's harder than pollen in the springtime. I'm telling you, in this new allergy, new allergic reaction is an allergic reaction to being wrong. Yeah, we don't like it. Break out in hives all the time when we think that we're wrong, Okay. And since we don't like being wrong, this is what we'll do. We, we don't like to be told what to do. Oh, no, 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 no. We don't like to be limited in what we can and we can't do. We just want to do things the Burger King way. We want to do it our way. That's, that's what we want to do. And it's actually crazy how spot on this is to what the Apostle Paul said hundreds of years ago, back in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Um, if you flip over there, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, starting in verse 3, says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears 
want to hear. So, so what this means is that in our frenetic pace, our frenetic, frenetic desire to never be told what to do or never feel like we're wrong, we've decided to not listen to anyone or to follow sound doctrine. Now, now when, when Paul says, hey, uh, they don't even listen to sound doctrine, you might be saying, okay, that seems really churchy. What does that mean? Really, sound doctrine is just right teaching, right teaching. And, and the sound doctrine that Paul is referring to is the teachings that God would teach us. Or in other words, what Jesus taught. That's what he's talking about, which is what Jesus actually told us that we should do. Back in Matthew chapter 28, at the end of the Great Commission, Jesus says this. He says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So the sound doctrine that Paul is talking about is what Jesus says. He says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is the sound doctrine Paul is speaking about, and that is the teachings of Jesus. But here's the thing. What Paul was saying to those people, they're not listening to sound doctrine. They're saying, you're not listening to Jesus. And that's exactly what's happening today. Instead of listening to Jesus, what we'll do is we'll search out whoever is saying what we want to believe and we'll listen to them. We'll, we'll find people who write about what we believe in and we'll only read what they're writing. We will create relative truth. You know what that is. That's what I believe what I want to believe, you believe what I, you want to believe, that kind of relative truth, instead of believing the absolute truth of God. We actually will then believe in a God that grades on a curve so, so that we will never have to alter anything that we do in our life, that God will just kind of let everybody kind of get in at the end of the day. And we do all of that so we never have to be challenged, we never have to be uncomfortable, and we never have to change what we're doing. That's why we do that. So this is why when the church then tries to be this voice of authority for Jesus and actually tell about this absolute truth of God, the culture looks at the church and says, oh, you're so intolerant. You're so out of touch with reality. Oh, you poor thing. Right? That, that's what happens. Now, there's, there's many more that I could talk about, but really, I want to talk about this last one here. So we say that the church has hurt herself. The church doesn't believe what I want to believe. But the third thing is the church is no longer a priority. The research that we just read earlier that I just mentioned, that kind of proves out what I had just said. And as adults, we have made this abundantly clear in our lives. And as a result of that, the next generation is following suit. I was on a, 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 a webcast this week, uh, this week talking about Generation Z, and I'm just telling you that the generation coming that's here after the millennials is no better than what the millennials were right now. I mean, as far as their relationship with God, it's degrading even more. And as parents, we, what we have done is we've stopped making church a priority and, or maybe even a part of our lives at all. Church has become an a la carte option in life rather than the main course. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's part of, like your church is part of the, the group that's got, well, sports and hobbies and video games and whatever you want to do to make yourself happy and like all these different things. We just choose those that are most important during the time instead of the main course. And so we can't be surprised then, guys, when we leave up the spiritual decision about God, whether we believe in him or not, to our kids, and then all of a sudden, what do they choose? They choose YouTube and PS5, and they choose their friends, and they choose anything else, right? We, we can't be surprised when that happens, but then we also, listen, cannot be surprised when our world is circling the drain because of those decisions. It is bound to happen when we move away from the sound doctrine, the right teaching, the things that we know are right and wrong, because of our apathetic or our, our, our kind of thumbing our nose at the things of God. We just can't be surprised at that. 
And, and, and guys, listen, I, I'm also not saying this. I'm not saying that you give yourselves a drug problem or anything like that with, that you had when you were younger. You know what I mean? Like when you got drugged to church on Sunday and drugged to church on Wednesday and drugged to this and drugged to... What do you think I meant? Right? Come on, you crazy people. Right, you know? I, I, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that we can't be surprised when we can't get our kids to come to church when we don't make it a priority in our life. And as Solomon would tell us this in Proverbs 22. He says, train up a child in the way he or she should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Guys, if you're a Christian, you probably have read this verse before, and you want that to be so true. But the question you have to ask yourself is, what are you training them up in? What are you training them in? Is it towards sound doctrine, towards Jesus, or are you training them away from him? It's one way or the other. There is no in-between. So, so those are just three things that I think are three reasons why the church is losing her appeal in our culture. But what does that mean? <laughs> does that mean it's it? Does that, that, that mean God's like saying, hey, listen, fold up the tents on this thing. Let's move on. God kind of saying like, hey, you know, the church thing, it was a good thing for a while, but hey, we got we to do a new thing here. Is, is that what God would want? Is that, is that it? And we've been asking some pretty hard questions of the church these past few weeks, actually. At week one, we asked the question of kind of like, where did the church come from? That was the first question we asked. Where, where did it come from? Where's this idea of church come from? Then last weekend, Pastor Carl crushed it. He just said, he answered the question, who is the church for? And so after we know like where it came from and who it's for, then the next natural question we should ask is, well, why does the church matter? Really, why does the church matter? Because as if you're a Christian here and you're joining us online, inside or outside, you very well might feel like you understand church is important. I mean, you're here, you're tuning in. And to us, it becomes hard to understand why there are so many people that are ambivalent or apathetic toward the church. You're saying, what is that about? And a few weeks ago, we had a series that was called The Essentials or Essentials. And we asked ourselves, what is essential to being a Christ follower? And we looked at things like the Bible, prayer, giving, and worship. But we also need to ask ourselves as Christian, why is the church essential? Or is it essential? But we need to answer the question not by what we think, because clearly we can't agree on anything as a society. And we need to ask Jesus. We need to say, hey, Jesus, what's your view of the church? And if he believes, and if he saw that it matters, and if he says that it has value, then we as Christians, we must do the very same thing if we're following Jesus. So for the rest of our time, here's what I want to do. I want to look at five reasons why the church still matters. Five reasons, okay? And the first reason is this. The church is a gospel super spreader. We can thank COVID for all kinds of great new terminology, can't we? I mean, we know what epidemiology is. We know a little bit about vaccines and we, we know about distance learning. But another phrase we learned was super spreader. And before it was a super soaker. Remember super soakers, the big old water gun thing, right? But now it's a super spreader. And the super spreader is the, the idea that if you get a bunch of people together, you're going to get multiple people sick and then the whole thing falls apart. I will tell you this. I believe that the church is a super spreader. It should be a super spreader for the gospel. It should be a super spreader for the gospel. The church was created by Jesus to be the vehicle for the gospel to reach the whole world. And it's true that in Jesus' time, this idea wasn't necessarily around a building that you would come to, but as, as we know it right now, but I have to say that the Jewish temple would have been the example by which the first church patterned herself off of. It really would have. And when the disciples embraced this new idea, the Great Commission, to go tell the world about Jesus, Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, the ends of the earth, they would do this by going from town to town. 
But when they would go from these different towns, do you know the first place that they would go? The synagogue. They would go to the church. So, so look at this example from Luke as he talks to us about Paul's approach in Acts chapter 18. Every Sabbath, he, that's Paul, reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now, now why would Paul take the time to go to the synagogue when he went to these different towns? Because that's where all the people would congregate at. It's been God's design all along for this to take place. So the ecclesia, which we talked about in week one, is the assembly, the gathering. That's what the first church was called before it was called the church, is to follow that same pattern that the synagogue had and be a place that people were drawn to. So this gathering of Christians, they would come together, they would learn about Jesus, they would love to Jesus, they would share their lives with it, but then they would go do something with what they just learned. And that's what we read in week one about this first church when it exploded. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. I'll read it again. They, that's the, that's the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. But that, that's, that's what the first church was all about. This was the calling by Jesus. And he says, hey, I want you to be the ones that you're going you're to be the vehicle. You're going to tell people about Jesus, tell the world about Jesus, and the church is how it's going to be accomplished. The second reason that the church still matters is this, okay? The second reason is this. It's a gospel super spreader, but the church is the bride of Christ. It's the bride of Christ. Now, if you grew up in church, you probably have heard this terminology before, um, and, and, and that's great. But if you didn't grow up in church, or you're not sure who God is or Jesus, or you're just kind of checking things out, man, so glad that you're with us. So, so Thank you for tuning in. But you probably are wondering, like, how does this work? <laughs> like, how does a building a bride. It seems a little weird. It's like Dennis Rodman weird. Like, how are you going to marry yourself? Right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, well, how do you do that? Well, well here's the, let, me, let me give you an example. Let me show you what Paul talks about in, in the book of Ephesians about this idea of the bride of Christ. He says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or anything other, or any other blemish but holy and blameless. He'd go on in 2 Corinthians, he would say this about the church. He says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promise you to be one husband to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. So, so this is what this says. It says that Jesus sees the church as, as worth giving his life up for. And he's actually jealous for her affections. He only wants the, her, his, her affections to be towards him. So he refuses to share with anyone when it comes to the church. Which, by the way, the church is you and me. He's jealous over us. He doesn't want our affections to anyone else but him. But, but the one thing that, that's, that's hard for me to understand, and maybe you've heard this before. You might have even said this before to yourself. You, maybe you've heard these phrases before. You'll hear people say, you know, I really, I love Jesus, but I, I don't really love the church. Like, I don't really, like, I don't really love the church. Have you heard this before? Like, or like, I'm a believer in God, but yeah, you know, I don't need to go to church in order to believe in God. I can, you know, I don't, I don't need all that. Like, I know God, we're good. Like, he's my homeboy. Like, you've heard this before. Okay, so let me give you an example. Let, let's, just, let's just get real here for a second. 
Let's just say, what if you invited me over to your house for dinner? You just invited me over. Of course, I'm going to say yes, because one, we're friends, and two, you have food. So I'm going to come. Like, it's, there you go, right? If you have tacos, forget about them. Stay in the night, okay? So like, you offered, I'm coming, all right? So that's the deal. But what if you followed up your invitation with a stipulation, okay? And the stipulation was this. You said that I could come over to your house, but I couldn't bring my wife Cherie with me. And the reason that you gave me was because you said, you know what, I really like you, but I can't stand your wife. In fact, I, I hate your wife, right? I hate her so much. So, so we can be friends, but I cannot be in the same room with your wife, cannot stand her. But, but then let's say you went a little bit further and you said something like, hey, you know, I don't think it's a big deal. Like, hey, you and I, we could be friends, but just leave your wife. Oh, leave your wife at home. I can't stand her. Now, what do you think I'd say? <laughs> you know, well, for one, we would no longer be friends. Okay. And, and I would probably tell you that news through the bars of a jail cell because I would have went spider monkey all over you when you told said stuff about my wife. But why? Why? It's, it's just my wife, right? It's just my wife. What's, what's the big deal? Here's the big deal. No one talks about my wife that way. No, no, no one. No one talks to my bride that way. You can't like me and hate my wife and expect us to be all simpatico and that we're all good. Doesn't work that way, right? So the same is true about Jesus and the church, his bride. You can't say, I love Jesus, and I hate your bride. You can't say, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Why? Because he loves her like a husband who loves his bride, and he gave up his life for her, for you, for me. That is why it's called the bride of Christ, and that's why the church matters. But here's the third thing. third thing is this. The church is more than a building. It's more than a building. I think in the Western world, we have a really hard time with this because we instantly think of a building when we think of church. We think of the church and we instantly think of things like steeples and, and, and stained glass. And we think of like brick and mortar buildings. They're these iconic images that get just stuck in our brains. We can't get past them. We can't see beyond them. But I can tell you with 100% certainty that God did not see a building in mind when he, when he thought up this idea of the church or created the church. No, he had people in mind. He had people in mind. You know this, right? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors and there's all the people. Hey, right? This is visual aid stuff. This is high intensity things right here, right? You know this. So he saw people coming together to share their lives, to share their love of Jesus in such a way that the world would look at them and say, wow, there's something different about them. And guess what? He knew that it would take all kinds of people to make the church as, as impactful, as far-reaching as he wanted it to be. Which is why we read what Paul says in 1 Corinthians is so important. Uh, Paul says, Just as a body, the one, has many parts, but all of its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So, so, so important for us to realize this. So important for us to realize that the church, its main goal is to be a place where people can come to discover Jesus and follow him fully. It's what we believe here full, full with all of our heart. But what's crazy about God's plan, if you really think about it, is that he asks us to be a part of the plan. 
to tell the world about Jesus. I mean, are you kidding me? Me? You? Like, I know me. Okay, I know me. I would not say that I am God's plan A for global gospel expansion. Okay? I mean, I am stubborn. I am weak. I am prideful. I am hard-headed. I am lazy. I am grumpy. And that's just today. Okay? You know, like, that's me today. But yet, despite all of that, and there's a whole lot more that I'm jacked up with, right? All of that. He says, hey, I want you to help me tell the world about Jesus. And you are going to tell other people and they're going to tell other people. That's just how it's going to work. And, and here's, the, here's the other thing. Check this out. He then also asks us to use the unique gifts that he has given us. By the way, all of us have given unique gifts he's given us. And he asks us to, have, to use them for one reason and one reason only. Everything that is a town of yours, one reason, one reason only, to draw people to come closer to Jesus. That's the reason you have the gifts that you have. And, and, and that happens when we use those things inside the building, like when we volunteer and we're part of different things, but it also happens outside the building. You see, being the church happens on a Zoom call at work. It happens in the classroom with, those, with, with your fellow students. It, it's, it's in the stands as you're cheering for your kids. It's, it's when you volunteer in the Kid City area and help Preston as he's joining this brand new ministry. It's when you mow your neighbor's lawn. It's when you start a watch party right where you're at right now, Crossroads Online, to have your neighbors come and join you for church. It's when you pay somebody's electric bill. You see, the church congregates on the weekend and then it explodes into the world throughout the week in the lives and using the talents that God has given us in the lives of those that call themselves Christians, Christ followers. Remember this, that the phys a physical building can never replace the physical presence of one person in another person's life. Let me read that again. A, a physical building, the building itself can never replace the physical presence of one person in another person's life. This is why I talk so much about you praying and being connected with your one. Who is the one person that you're praying for, having a meal with, investing in, inviting to church, telling them about Jesus and your story too? To be the church that is on mission like Jesus told us to be, we need to be physically present in people's lives. And this is where the church is the most powerful. Check this out. The church is at its best when people who love Jesus decide to act like Jesus to those who don't know Jesus. That's the church. This is the church. And this is why it matters. It, because it's not about the building, even though the Bible says that it's good for us to gather and we should not get in the habit of not meeting, we should get together. It's, it's, it's not about preaching a good sermon, even though the Bible says that it's the pro proclamation of God's word that's so important we should hear that. It's not about lights and cameras and fo fog and all that stuff, even though God says make a joyful noise and do it with excellence. Right? All of those things are amazing. All those things come together to be able to reach more people for Jesus. But the church is about people like loving each other like Jesus, right? It, we are at its best with people who, who love like Jesus, act like Jesus to people that don't know Jesus. This is the church crossroads. This is what I want us to be when we love and we act to those that don't know who Jesus is. This is what we must, we must do. Which, which then leads me to the fourth aspect of the church that we have to consider is this. That the church is an outpost of hope. An outpost of hope. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. 
And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Guys, sometimes we hear the church talked about as a hospital for the sick. And last week, Pastor Carl, again, did a fantastic job. He even mentioned this a little bit. And while that might be true, Jesus is the great physician, I understand, it sure does seem to paint the church into a bit of a gloomy corner, doesn't it? I mean, have, have you ever known anybody that's like, yes, going to the hospital today, sweet, you know? Unless you're like a doctor raking in the coin, like you're not like super pumped to like go to the hospital, which is why I think it might be more important for the church to be looked at as an outpost might be a better way of thinking about it. Because for a soldier, an outpost is a welcome site. Outposts had ammunition, they had fuel, they had food, they had rest, they had safety, they had new recruits and new soldiers that would join them. An outpost was like an oasis for a weary soldier that needed a little bit of recharging to stay in the battle. And the church is perfectly designed to be an outpost, to recharge the weary, to regroup the scattered, to revive the hurt, to restore the lost, and to then resend them all back out into the fight. The church was never meant to be a final stop. It was meant to be a pit stop. But far too often, people look at the church as a military base instead of an outpost. When I used to live in South Dakota, uh, there was, a, um, it was an Air Force base near us called Ellsworth Air Force Base. At the time, it was the largest, the largest Air Force base that held the most B-1 bombers in the entire nation. It was a huge Air Force base. And families from all over the country, all over the world would come and they would be stationed at this base and they would live on base. And I used to be on the swim team and they would hold a, a swim meet on, uh, on the base. And so in order to get on the base, you had to go through this checkpoint. And if your name wasn't on the list, you couldn't get into the base. But once you were on the list and you entered through those gates, all of a sudden it's like a whole new city within these walls. There's houses and stores and grocery stores and vet clinics and movie theaters, a whole nine yards. I mean, it was, it, it, the whole design was there so you would never have to leave. You could just live on base. You see, a military base was designed for people to hunker down together, to band together, not really to leave. And I think too often people think of the church that way too. See, we think that we have this list at the door of who can come in and who cannot come in. Not the COVID list, right? But, you know, like, but we have this list that we think and this list contains things like, hey, what do you look like? What do you make? Who do you sleep with? What have you done? What are you doing? And we keep people out of our base so that we don't mess up, I don't know, the, all the perfect people that are inside the building? Like, I don't know. And when this happens, it's no wonder why people want nothing to do with the church. We're keeping out all the people that need to hear the message of Jesus. But, but, but listen to me right now, because I can sense that there's some Christians here that are getting really hot and sweaty, and you're starting to like do this a little bit. You're like, hoo right? Okay, here, here, listen, calm down, deep breath, get a bag out if you need, just here, listen to me. I am not saying that we water down the gospel. I'm not saying that we change what the Bible says. I'm not saying that we do whatever we can and do whatever it takes to be able to get as many people in the church as we possibly can. No, no, no. But we also can't make the church so impenetrable that no one can access what's inside. And as Christians, yes, we need people to sharpen each other, like iron sharpening iron. We need people around each other. But we cannot insulate ourselves from the mission field. 
The church is an outpost so that we can recharge and then get back in the, in the battle called our lives. Wars are not won with soldiers laying around on cots. Wars are won with soldiers in the battle. And the church is designed to be a recharging place that, so we can get back into the mission, so we can get back into the battle. That's why the church exists. But this leads me to the last thing to consider about the church and why it matters is that the church will never die. Regardless of what we think about the church, it's not going anywhere. No, no matter how much we try to say against her or modify her or nullify her, she's not going anywhere. Why, would you, why can I say that? Because it was God's plan and God protects what he creates. It was God's plan all along. And, and I want you to listen to this. I found this quote by author Philip Schaeff, and I just listened to this as he describes the church. And, and just listen to these words. During this long succession of centuries, it, the church, has outlived the destruction of Jerusalem, the dissolution of the Roman Empire, fierce persecution from without and heretical corruptions from within, the barbarian invasion, the confusion of the Dark Ages, the papal tyranny, the shock of infidelity, the ravages of revolution, the attacks of enemies, and the error of friends, the rise and fall of proud kingdoms, empires, and republics, philosophical systems, and social organizations without number. And behold, it still lives, and lives in greater strength and wider extent than ever, controlling the progress of civilization and the destinies of the world, marching over the ruins of human wisdom and folly, ever forward and onward, spreading silently its heavenly blessing from generation to generation and from country to country to the ends of the earth. It can never die. It will never see the decrepit of old age. But like its divine founder, it will live in the unfading freshness of self-renewing youth and the unbroken vigor of manhood to the end of time and will outlive time itself. Single denominations and sects, human forms of doctrine, government and worship, after having served their purpose, may disappear and go the way of all flesh, but the church universal of Christ in her divine life and substance is too strong for the gates of hell. She will only exchange her earthly garment for the festal dress of the Lamb's bride and rise from the state of humiliation to the state of exaltation and glory. Then at the coming of Christ, she will reap the final harvest of history, the eternal Sabbath of a holiness and peace. This will be the endless end of history as it was foreshadowed already at the beginning of its course in the holy rest of God after the completion of his work of creation. That is the church. That is why it matters, because she can never die. And for all those reasons and so many more, this is why the church matters, my friends. And while she's not perfect and she's filled with broken people like you and me, the church continues, continues to reach the broken for the sake of Christ, because that is what God designed it to be. And in this time of, of just interesting time of COVID and everything, there's something interesting that came about that I think you're familiar with. And, and, and when, um, when all the shutdowns happened and everything got shut down, it also included gyms. And man, I love working out. I love going to the gym. I love seeing people. I love all, I, I loved it. But when it shut down, People for a while started doing push-ups. That was me, like push-ups on the roof and all kinds of crazy stuff. But then eventually what happened is that people were like, ah, you know what? I think I'm going to forget about the gym and I'm going to make my own gym. 
So that's when you see people like clear out part of their garage and they make this beautiful gym. I mean, Jose, my buddy's here right now. He's got a beautiful gym. We got LED lights in it, the whole nine yards. You know, it counts as reps for him, does his reps for him. Like, I don't know, right? Just so cool, right? And you see people, they have all this stuff. And, and, and I have gym envy, like it's super cool. But I'm just telling you right now that there's a lot of those gyms that when they started, they had all this energy, right? I'm gonna do it at home, I'm gonna do it at home. But were I to peer in you know, those pictures, because the Instagram pictures kind of faded. I think I might see some clothes hanging on, some treadmills and some dusty weights. Might see some people that are maybe sitting on the bench eating some chips, you know what I mean? Like just as another spot, you know what I mean? Because what they said is that I can do it on my own. I don't need the gym, but where the gym, what the gym has, it has, has accountability. It's got people that know what they're talking about, personal trainers that can help you, nutritionists that can help you. It's got a community of people like, hey, you know, if you miss a day, you know, John's going to call you and say, hey, where are you at, man? You know, there was, there's this community that's there that you can't necessarily find at home. And so you're smart. Here's my concern. And, and, and not with Crossroads Online, because Crossroads, you have community, you have connection, we have connections with you. We want to help you take your next steps. But there's a lot of people out there that say, you know what, I can just kind of do this God thing on my own. I'll set up my own home gym for God. And I'll just kind of do it. And, and, and with all the best intentions, people start off. But isn't it funny after a while, you stop praying. You stop reading your Bible. You're not generous anymore. Because why? Because there's something missing. The church was designed to be an outpost where you can come and get recharged. Where you can, you can hear from people that can train you up. Where you can have community around people that can be around you to, to give you a encouragement. To be able to, to be, maybe you come in weary and you need to be recharged. Maybe you come in all fired up and you want to share with people. But the church is designed for that. For community, for growth. It's where you become generous and you give so you can continue the mission of Jesus. Because you saw the impact of the mission of Jesus outside the walls. And so, so my fear is this, is that we have so many people thinking I can home gym my life with Jesus, in reality, God created the church because he knew you couldn't. And you need it. And you need what's in here. Broken people going after a perfect Savior, committed to living our lives for him together, not by ourselves. And you can be assured that this is the truth because Jesus gave his life up for it. That's how important this is. And so I pray for the Capital C Church, but I also pray for Crossroads Church. Because God has called us at this time and this place to impact the world for him. And I want us to be so unified that the world has never seen a movement like it could come out of the Central Valley of Manteca and beyond. Because people buy into the beauty of the church. They are the church and they live on mission for him. So as we close right now, I hope you consider that as you prepare to leave today. But let's pray. Let's stand and pray together as we close our time right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for the church. I've been in it a long time. I've seen all kinds of things, good and bad in between. But God, the beauty overwhelms the negative every time. I see people take care of those that are, have lost a loved one. I see those that are hurt and sick being, being brought meals. I see people that can't afford this be paid for by people that could. I, I see people that are just need a hug, being hugged. I see people that don't understand Jesus being walked alongside with those that know Jesus. I see community happening. I see best friends happening. I see marriages happening. God, all because the community of Christ is designed for that. And so, Father, I pray a blessing on this church right now. Be with Crossroads. Expand our influence. Expand our territory. Expand our opportunity to share the gospel. 
We will do our best to do that with all of our effort, all of our energy. But God, what excites me the most is that when people come here, they know that they're going to hear about Christ. They're going to impact. They're going to see, hear about him. But I will expect them to go and do something to be the church in their world. It's not about a building. It's about going and doing. The church is about people that love like Jesus, that act like Jesus, to people that don't know who Jesus is. So Father, help us to do that as we leave, as the church, as we log off, as we prepare to drive away, as we leave these doors. Father, help us be the church because it matters. The world is counting on us. Help us to do it. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week on the Crossroads Grace podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. If you are interested in getting involved in our community or want to find out more information, visit us online at crossroadsgrace.org. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Grace podcast. Thank you.